podcast with Lori Horseman, and I am Charlie McMahon. And today, Lori, we're going to talk about fear versus love. And a couple reasons for this. Uh, you have a, uh, a scenario that, that we want to talk about a little bit of for many of you who, if you don't attend our church, about three weeks ago, I think it was, mm-hmm. we said, hey, there's this brain boot camp we're starting in February. And here I'm going to give you, you said, some things that you can do to take care of your brain. And you said afterward, oh my gosh, after the first service, mm-hmm. there was so much fear yes. when you were talking to people in the atrium and at the Mind Hope booth. And uh, that struck me, so I said, "Oh, let's let's talk about that next podcast." And um, because we all have it when it comes to the unknown, always this is a super unknown because we're all heading there. We're all we're, we're all a day older than we were yesterday. And uh, I'd mentioned to you that I, if I if I'm honest, I, I have fear of if, if I ever quit at Southbrook. Before I die, which may not happen, uh, you know, I do fear a little bit not being as active mentally. I'd like to think that I would be, but, you know. What would you fill it with, right? Yeah, what would I fill it with? I think I have so many projects that I think I would be okay. I told you, and Frank is here today, Frank Crockett, I said, hey, I would be surprised if I got dementia. But I bet many a person has said that. Uh, Many a person has said that. Um, So let's talk about that. First of all, you're, as a practitioner in this, and one who speaks into others about proactive manage, life management, now three weeks out, your processing of that, well, as you put it, a wave of fear that came into the atrium that morning. Yeah. It was, uh, it's not what I was expecting when we were sitting there uh, answering people's questions. I was truly expecting, I know, people that wanted to come and um, get ideas for how do I strengthen my mind. And the amount of personal stories that we were getting, literally tears in people's eyes. Um, I'm afraid this is going to be me. I'm afraid this is already happening. I'm already struggling trying to remember things. And these people were in their 50s and in their I'd say late 40s and then even in the early 60s. And I looked over at my friend and I'm like, wow, we, we've got our hands full here. Um, everybody had a story of a family member that was in their life now or had been in their life that had this disease. Um, they had all kinds of fear. And I think the way we're going to tackle this going into the first brain boot camp tonight is um, tackling that fear and understanding that that fear can cripple you and lead you down a path that you don't need to go down. Um, a lot of times in my work, I'm dealing with the adult kids that are, you know, I'm giving them the tools to take care of their family members that do have dementia, but at the same time telling them, you need to safeguard your own mind. You, you cannot allow that. Because I've had people ask me, is it contagious? And yes, the stress, and that's true. It's not yeah. contagious like a virus. Exactly, but, but the, the lifestyle yes. contagion. Yes, because you're, like I always say, it's kind of like fear is like choking the oxygen from your brain. You're literally choking it out. And then at that point, what settles in is that fear, and it just takes root. And when you can, you know, when you can harness that fear and slow it down, get that out of there, get some of that oxygenated blood in there. Now let's clear that out a little bit. And like you said, turn on the light so we can mm-hmm. see what's really going on in here. Let's take actual inventory, mm-hmm. because fear can actually cause you to believe you're something that you're not. So that acronym, false evidence appearing real. Mm-hmm. I love that acronym. There are so many acronyms for F E 
A-R, seems relevant here. False yes. evidence. What's the false evidence part of this that's causing undue fear? It's okay. Crippling fear, paralyzing I, I think it's fear. that, honestly, in the United States, we're so far behind our knowledge and educating of people. So everybody thinks that just because your dad had it, you're going to get it. And they do this therapeutic nihilism. Well, I guess that's just what it is. As you get mm. older, you get senior brain. You get this. You get that. And I'm like, that's not true. There's that normal aging versus not normal aging, and it is normal to slow down, but it's not normal that you're going to become senile, that you're going to get this disease. That's not. Okay, so talk about the nun that you mentioned, and, and let's, let's analyze her, so to speak, because there are probably some factors, uh, even in her life calling, mm -hmm. that has, has led to her vitality and longevity with that. So explain her. It, it's a fascinating story. She was actually on the cover of Time Magazine, I think in the 90s when this first came out. But uh, there was a study that was done, and I want to believe it came out of the University of Kentucky, and they wanted to know why nuns don't get dementia. And of course, whenever I give this in front of the women, they all say it's because there's no men in their lives. <laughs> men is in there, but that's not why. And it's like, so they think that it's because there's no men or there's no kids. And I'm like, no, but what we looked so at... So what's an acronym? Females exist <laughs> <laughs> apart from yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it doesn't work so but we yeah. looked at they took a look at our lifestyles and they just wanted to know okay why don't nuns get dementia and is this even a thing so they all these nuns agreed to participate in the study and then to donate their brains to science when they were done so because proof is in the pudding and this one particular nun I want to say it was sister Mary she participated in it and she had a fun sense of humor um, she stuck to her daily regimented routine every single day, never left it. So when you said, check, check, so right. you said when I'm done working, I'm like, well, what's done? Mm -hmm. Because one of her quotes across the cover of the magazine says, I only retire at night. I love that. So That's her daytime good. routine never changed. So she lived in a social environment. She stayed right there with all of the other nuns. So that was a big thing was a socializing. She did not isolate off. And I said, that's, that's imperative. Because when you isolate off, your fear takes root and grows. But when you're around other people, other people have a tendency to tamper out that fear and go, nope, we're in this together. You're not alone. Her diet never changed. She was pretty good with her diet. She ate a lot of fresh stuff, you know, not highly processed. And yes, she did drink Those wine. Those nuns always seem to have gardens, I know, they? right? Always. But they, she did drink wine, which, you know, I think she called it Jesus' juice or something like that. But she did have her wine. And she did have some activities that, you know, just like the rest of us, kind of bad habits, but she still had those. But the thing that they found that she did every single day without fail was she read from her Bible and she um, uh, she literally would she would keep repeating it over and over. She'd memorize it, take it to the right side of her brain, and then the next day she would keep recalling every piece of scripture she had memorized mm. on Thursday, on Wednesday, on Tuesday, on mm -hmm. Monday, and she would go back and she'd keep building on that. So it was that repetitive act she was doing was literally creating a synapsis neuron and cinching two halves of her brain together. And she, like I said, she never, she got up at the same time every day. She had breakfast, lunch, and dinner at the same time every day. She did this daily routine. And at 101 years old, they did a scan on her brain and did her cognition scores, and they were super high, very, very high. She died six months later, and those scores never dropped in that meantime. Wow. When they did the autopsy on her brain, this was the crazy part. She had all the pathological markers. She had dementia plaques in her brain, but they'd never taken root because of all the synapsis neurons around it had literally choked it out and kept it from growing. That's fascinating. Uh, as some of you who are listeners may not know this, but we have a student ministry called Players Box that is the cousin of Mind Hope. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we teach is that now we know through neuroplasticity, you are your own brain surgeon. Yes. How you choose to think 
literally changes your brain. And what you would say is that that nun's life is a testament to that. Definitely. Right there it is. The dementia plaques mm-hmm. intercepted literally by, choked it out. by healthy practice. Mm-hmm. Practice trumps plaque. Uh, oh, I like that. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that's my job is to craft words, Lori. <laughs> Uh, but it, but we're, I mean, we're into that literally right now because the debate for years was brain over mind. You're born with the brain you are, and you're no. going to think as a result. And, no. And it could not take, be further from the truth. You can and look at a college student's brain at the beginning of the semester and then look at his brain at the end of that semester, and he has grown brain matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or it's you can choose not to use it, and then there's this thing called synaptic pruning, and your brain just literally cuts off those pieces that you're not using because if you don't use it, you do lose it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, we look at her, we look at her life, and you're, you're, you're sitting across from uh, your listeners today saying, here's what, you know, you grab them by the shoulders and say, here's what I want you to know from her life. And what will happen from doing some of uh, many of her practices is that you, your fear will begin to dissipate. What, again, would those be that you would, of that, that biographical synopsis you just gave, what are the ones you go, oh, my gosh, the research shows that this was key for her, this was key for her, she, this was key for well, her. In an interview, they asked her that, and she said, I got real with it. I just faced my fears straight down. Mm. If my fear is of losing my mind, I'm going to do everything I can to take inventory every day and keep rebuilding it and repairing it. So mm-hmm. she just faced it down, and she's like, I didn't let fear overcome me. I overcame my fear. Which Churchill famously said, when you run away from fear, it doubles. When you face fear, it's cut in half. Mm-hmm. Face um, we When Players Box, we teach... Cattle run away from a storm. Buffalo run into storms. Mm-hmm. Guess who's in the storm longer? Mm-hmm. The cattle are in the storm longer. Yeah. And that's the, the reality of yep. fear is it grows when you try to mm-hmm. run from it. So she, she, she basically disciplined it. She grabbed a hold of that fear. She harnessed it. She disciplined it. And then she did these things repetitively every t- single day. And when you take action, I think you reduce your fears. If you sit and wait for something to happen and that apathy sets in and then here comes the depression, we all know that untreated depression with that apathy almost always becomes dementia because you isolate away from people and you do all the wrong things. It's like you're running into this, you know, you're running away from the storm and the storm is getting bigger. Okay. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, the, 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 the basic, I think you've talked about this. I know I have the basic way we're made is think, feel, act. We're made to, to, you know, we think. I, we, we see a bear, we feel afraid, we're made. That, that bodily response is a God-created response to then act. Act. Run. Mm-hmm. Run faster than the person you're with, hopefully. Yep. Run. Just outrun the person But what we you. do in our culture is think, feel, think, feel, and we eliminate the act. What happens to the brain when we get into the think, feel, think, feel, think, feel, freeze. think, feel, we freeze, okay? Yep, the amygdala freezes. Mm-hmm. And it's literally now you're just waiting for something to happen to you rather than being in control of what's going to happen. Okay. So today I think I have some bad dietary habits. Mm-hmm. I feel afraid of what I'm doing to myself. Okay. What's the action? Now take some action. Research. What is it that you're consuming? Take a look at it. What is it doing to you? Can you stop it? Can you reverse it? Yes, you can. You're not dead yet. You can actually take the, you know, go the other direction, go the proactive rather than the reactive way. Uh, but, but I'm addicted to carbohydrates, Lori. <laughs> so I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute. Okay. What do you, what do you say to that? Slowly, I'm, I'm, slowly okay. wean them out. Let's say if you're eating 10 of these things today, tomorrow it's nine. 
and then give yourself the pat on the back. The next day it's eight and give the You've got to celebrate the wins. The brain likes the wins. So you celebrate the wins. You don't beat yourself up if you mess up and eat one more the next day. But take a look at what you have done because it's every single day is one more step closer to what your goal is. Okay, but I don't like to exercise, and I know I'm not exercising. Okay. Again, how does that apply to that? There are so many different ways that you can exercise. And that's what I tell people. Like walking is exercise. You can do chair aerobics. You can do stretches and isometric exercises. I've got 90-year-olds that exercise with me every single day, and they can't stand or walk. And yet they have a mm. huge mindset of, I did this. I accomplished this. Yeah. That's the exercise I'm yeah. looking for. Yeah. And, you know, just a little bit, right? Just a little that's bit. I, you know, I love, you celebrate I love the win. Stephen Geis in his book, uh, How to Be an Imperfectionist, talks about how in America, quantity and quality, we're addicted to that. So we think, I got to have 30 pounds I'm losing this year, or it's not the quantity, ha or it's not worth it. Right. Or, and then the quality, I have to be in my good jogger suit to exercise. Mm -hmm. Instead of, nope, I'm in my jeans, but I'm going to do 10 push-ups right now. And how do you feel afterwards? Exactly. Pretty good? Ex exactly. The well, with him, he did the, he's the one who did the one push-up a day for three months, and it changed his life. Because what he found was his brain was conditioned to, buddy, we exercise every day. And it was only one push-up a day. Yeah. But that changed his outlook, and he eventually lost, I think, over two years, 30 pounds. And yep. today he's a really healthy person. Yep. Uh, so what else, what else do you see that she did that are actionable steps that the listener can take Two days. Is there anything else for you that stood out with her? The big her? thing, and I know I keep harping on this, and this is what we're going to talk about tonight at Brain Boot Camp, was she never ended her day without putting it all on paper. She said, I put the oh, day on good. paper. And this is where I took the, coined the term, she took the trash out at night. She would go through her brain. She'd take inventory of, was it a good day? What wasn't so good? And she literally would go on paper, journal it paper to pen, because it's an amazing, what it does for your brain is so cathartic. It's just sorting through the stuff, deciding what we're going to keep and what we're going to let go of. And she just did that every night before she went to bed, recounting what she did, counted her blessings, made her plan for tomorrow, and then just put it to rest and let God have the rest mm. of what she said. Mm. She was, and that's the only time she retired is when she went to sleep at night. One of the foundational, there's so much, so much now that we're learning neurologically that scripture has told us, like you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, not your brain, your mind. mind. And then, you know, one of our foundational truths is 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love. The perfect love drives out fear. So the way we right. describe it is light is undefeated against dark in history. It's never lost to dark. You walk into a dark room, you turn on the light, light never goes, uh, I'm not having a good day. Right. Darkness wins. Never happens. And fear always loses to love. Right. Your brain, well now we know neurologically, your brain literally cannot process the two at the same time. No. If, if you're filled with love, the feeling of love, your brain literally cannot feel fear. What's, what's the aha for that for you when it comes to a person who's sitting here going, I'm afraid that I'm on the dementia path? I've seen this so many times and I try to tell people, I just spoke to a lady this week. She has so much fear that she could not hear the hope we were giving her. She could not hear wow. where I was trying to guide her. And I literally had to keep validating her fears and addressing her fears and finally said, is there anything else? And we finally got all of her fears. And I'm like, now I need you to hear me. And I said, everything you're telling yourself is false. Just listen. False to evidence appearing yes. real. You are buying into the fact that this is going to happen to you and there is nothing that says that this will happen to you. 
And it's like, but your fear right now is literally going to manifest itself in things that you are creating. So I had to calm her down. And once I calmed her down and we took a close look at what the actual situation was, it wasn't even dementia that we were looking at. It was just basically a chemical imbalance being triggered by some changes in lifestyle and some changes in medications. And it's like, calm down. Mm -hmm. Your fear is eating you alive, literally. So once we got her calmed down, we were able to take a look at the situation. And here we are three days later, she's a whole different person. Like, oh my gosh. It's like, yes. You couldn't see, you, you literally couldn't see the force for the trees because of your own fear it was choking you out. We see this with dementia. My dementia residents who, they do have dementia. And when their fear amps up, they don't believe that they can do things. But when I come in with a calming influence and a calmingness, it's like I push back that fear and I can actually grab a hold of that person's soul and calm them down and link them to something that's calm. And here that comes the smile. Here comes the, I can do this. And they start to walk with me. They start to enjoy the music with me. And their fear subsides. And okay. that person. Okay, let's unpack that. I know, I know um, I'd forgotten about this, but our healing prayer ministry, they, they had a pattern, a doctor discipleship and deliverance. In other words, you're asking for deliverance, mm -hmm. but let's look at the doctor first. Mm -hmm. Is there a potassium imbalance? Is, is that, you know, yep. you're low on potassium. I've found that many, many yep. times somebody comes to me and says, I know that the, the devil is got me. Well, let's go to the doctor first. They go to the doctor and they find out they're very low on potassium. Hey, I'm fine. The devil's left me, you know, <laughs> but then discipleship is get into community, get into a Christian community where your thinking is being changed and then deliverance. And then, and then maybe if, if, mm -hmm. you know, we're not seeing a traction here, then we go into, there may be a spiritual reality here. To me, so much of what you do is the doctor and the discipleship side, yeah. medical care with healthy community yes. equals Less fear, for sure. Yeah, it, it takes the fear out, and it's almost like I've been told that it's like a buoy in the middle of the ocean. You need something to hold on to that you're like, tell me yeah. I'm not going under. I'm like, you're not going under, but you've got to take, you've got to stop looking at everything that you can't control and focus on what you can control, and you can focus on your breathing. Just start there. And even with somebody who has full-blown dementia and is having a complete panic attack in front of me, I just emulate, emulate the breathing that I want them to do, and they start to copy me. And then mm. once I can see the fear, and the, you literally can see it leave their face, I hold onto their hands, and then they start to squeeze my hands, and they feel my strength. And then my voice lowers way down, and they start to hear it. Then all of a sudden, I've got them coming back to me. Dementia doesn't dissolve the person. It just makes a difficult obstacle to get to that person. Mm -hmm. You've got to use your calm. You can't allow fear, because when you're working with people, your fear becomes contagious to them. So I have to calm, constantly calm. Because yeah. sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do here? Just calm yeah. down, you, breathe. You, it starts with you. It starts with me. Yeah. And it becomes very contagious. Is there a quantifiable, do, are there quantifiable measurables on the an amount of positive relationships you need to have? I think we even talked about this. Is it enough that you have your spouse and two kids that you have a loving relationship? Is that enough? Or do the, does the circle need to be more open than that? Uh, the reason I ask this is the whole thing about uh, this. This is such a lonely culture mm -hmm. that I'm wondering about the person listening to this going, yeah, I have three people in my life that I really have a good relationship with. Is that enough? Is it? Is it yeah, that's a good question. Is, uh, is it, and is it relative to touch? Is it relative to, you know, that, that yeah, it's healthy in the sense that I have good dialogue we also have physical touch 
you know, can you even we, be in relationship with people that you don't have any other type of spiritual connection with? We see this all the time in, you know, the socialization factor when somebody moves into our community because they might not have anything in depth other than just a friendly face through the hallway and somebody mm-hmm. who knows your name. And sometimes that can be all it takes to boost you back up. Mm-hmm. As far as that in-depth dialogue, I think you need at least a couple, like my mom used to say, at least four quarters in your pocket. You know, that those are the people that you can go to. You've got that person who knows you in a way that, you know, truly knows who you are, good, bad, ugly, and all. And then that person who kind of builds you up. And then there's that one that just, you need to pour into somebody. It can't always be somebody pouring into you. And I've seen this more times than I can count, even on the dementia unit. Somebody comes in and they've been told what they can't do, can't do, can't do. And then they see somebody who's a little bit worse off with them and they go over to help them. I watch that person just light up. It's unbelievable. Like all of a sudden. I'm, I'm, I can only see that. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 so it's not so much what somebody can do for you. It's what you're doing for them too. And it's cyclical. It's very, and it's an infinity relationship. It's, it's neat to watch because the one that's getting the care loves it. And then she will turn around and give it back to you. And that's what makes these relationships. Well, it's literally oxytocin being released yeah. into the body when you do yeah. that first step yep, of connection else. for yeah. someone else. I, you know, we see it through the church so much. Mm-hmm. It, 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 I went out to find a friend and could not find one there. I went out to be a friend, yep. and friends were everywhere. Yes. I mean, you, you, if you sit there going, here I am, serve me, it, it, it's it a huge barrier. Yeah. It's a huge barrier. And because then you start looking at what you don't have. Yes, yeah. But you have something that somebody else needs. Yeah. Today, in this very moment, you've yeah. got something that somebody else needs. Go give it away. And Frank's sitting here, and he's shaking his head because he, you know, in the multiple communities that Frank leads, it's just we see it over and over again, the vitality that comes from being in community. Mm-hmm. But starting with, how can I serve? How can I bring light to someone else? Mm-hmm. Well, Lori, thanks. I, I, I don't think that humanity is ever going to change. It's going to be a constant battle of fear versus love. It is, it, that is, that is in essence, the battle, isn't it? It is in essence, the battle. Thanks so much until next time on Mind Hope podcast. This is Lori and Charlie.